0: Welcome to the podcast for Testimony.com. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about the 10 things that help you be successful and the 10 things that help you fail. So let's just quickly go through the things we all know that work really well. I'm going to go with the first one, Jesus being the center. Jesus, Papa God, Holy Spirit. Now, I'll say this in the most blunt way I can. I don't know if you get better without God. The kind of wounding that got us into this trouble in the first place is really only healed uh, by knowing Jesus personally. It's really only healed by engaging God personally. Just before we came online, Mark and I were talking, and I'm quite surprised that a lot of believers don't pray. Uh, they don't even wait on the Lord to listen to his voice. They don't, uh, they don't read the Bibles. Like sometimes I'm shocked. I'll be talking to, to uh, different believers And I'm kind of shocked that they don't know anything about anything because you think that if you, you know that scripture that says a man who finds a treasure in a field goes out and sells everything so that he can buy the field. There's something about like when you find what is true, you sell everything in order to get more of that truth. And so, you know, I know that everyone's at different stages and sometimes you read more, sometimes you pray more, uh, sometimes you're hearing the Lord speak a lot, sometimes you don't hear him speak at all. So I get that there's not just stages, but I guess there's also seasons and there's, there's ebbs and flows in the spirit. Um, and, you know, part of the reason, you know, God is hidden is he's hidden for us, not from us. So it's a part the process of discovering God is actually what sets us free. I would say that the rest of what we talk about is sort of the afterthoughts outside of the God experience. So I've said this many times before, we value process only that leads to encounter. Um, if you're not having encounters with God, you're not engaging God, and you're not finding yourself, like that worship we did tonight was so good, and what it does is it brings us back to our knees to encounter God, to become dependent on Him, to, to recognize that without Him, we can't. And any decent um, any decent sort of addiction counseling, including, um, you know, SAA or or uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous—they all have in there that we recognize that a higher power is is the source of our solution, and we we recognize that that's God. Um, and of course, AA used to say that, and now they say higher power. You know, for whatever reason they do that. Um, so if you if you were of us to go, hey, try these five tools, and you'll get better. You know, for three easy payments of nine ninety nine, or take you know. Do this and do that and you get better. That's not the solution. The solution really is to have Christ at the center of your life and to have him steering the ship and not you. Uh, Number two, the other thing that we value that really, really, really helps is when we lead with vulnerability. I can't stress this enough, but vulnerability kills shame. Uh, Vulnerability destroys the very thing that, that keeps you in the dark. vulnerability exposes the darkness to the light so that the darkness can become light. Vulnerability is the option of you being 100% real in the moment and being able to look at the stuff on the inside. It's into me, you see, because I showed you. We've talked lots about that, Um, but to the degree that you're vulnerable is the degree that you have authority in the room. I can guarantee you this, people become leaders and they think they have to have their stuff together and then they don't share deep stuff anymore and they start to lose um, authority in this room. This this room that we're talking about is the the people that are bleeding, the people that are on the edge, the people that are sharing from, from deep in themselves and learn how to get intimate and share that intimacy with everybody else are the ones that actually have the most authority in the room, so, all right, number three. Um, honesty fast uh, so what that looks like is this it's way too often when we start sharing and the reason we keep a short amount of time is we're teaching you how to talk right and so what a lot, of, a lot of times happens especially in the very beginning is it's you're so intimidated by the process and maybe even afraid to even get honest or you don't even know what honesty looks like or whatever the reasons are but eventually you start to get a feel for what's valuable but then you'll mince words. You'll say things like, um, "I had a bad day this week," and, and then you move on to like, "And hey, you know this football team, blah blah blah, whatever you, whatever story is." And what I notice is a lot of people will jump over the details and try not to be too honest about it, or they'll they'll make they'll make the the impact of the behavior um, softer so they can just get through the sharing moment because it's actually intimidating to share. But, but people that are super honest with their fears get better faster. People that are super honest with their struggles get better faster. The faster you can get to the root of the lie you're believing, the faster you can get, get healing. You can't heal something you can't see. And and it's a simple process of, of you know, we've talked about this lots, but, you know, it's, it's a simple process of, of at the base level, you know, you feel loved or unloved. Um, you know, you either feel like you have love and belonging, or you don't feel like you're worthy of love and belonging, and and so, outside of that next fear out is fear and faith. Uh, if you believe you're worthy of love and belonging, you'll have lots of faith. You'll have lots of behavior that manifests what you believe. Same with, with the faith. The faith will come out. The fear, sorry, will come out of your lack of belief that you're worthy of love and belonging. So, if you're not sure, the answer is always either. I don't feel worthy of love and belonging, or I feel worthy of love and belonging. These are the major motivators behind the way we act out. So get honest fast. Uh, Number four, risk and faith. Um, I've spoken about this a ton, and and you've probably heard me say it over and over again. Faith looks like risk to those around us, Um, but faith isn't something grandiose. It's you taking a step into your uncomfortableness, into your own darkness, in in an action way faith is an action it's a it's a manifestation of what you believe on the core on the inside it's it's springing up what you do so let, let me just make it real simple when you behave well it's because you believe you're worthy of behaving well when you treat yourself like someone who's not worthy of that you behave badly it's very very simple and so you know let's say that your comfort zone is a level five intimacy you know, next time you come to group, push yourself to a level seven or even a level six. If, you know, I've heard Bill Johnson say, he said, faith, you know, looks for some people looks like raising the dead. For others, it looks like petting a dog. Faith is overcoming your fear. It's, it's moving in the opposite spirit. It's, it's, trying to, it's trying to actualize what it realizes. It's, it's, it's a, a movement towards the unknown. Uh, of course, we're all afraid of change. Of course, we wouldn't change if we didn't have to, because we're in our heart of hearts, we're little boys. But as we grow up, we realize that the process of faith is what drags us up to maturity. And so, when men start to involve themselves in a in a risky venture into the unknown, even little ones, um, that's when they start to get better. You don't get better if you just stay in the same place. And I said this before, and chris is, this is Chris's quote. But she always says, there's no neutral ground. You're either going backwards or forward. And I totally 100% agree with her. You're either moving your army pieces forward or you're retreating, and retreating from battle. You don't get to just camp out. When you became a believer, you signed up for battle. And when you're battling, you're occupying ground so that you can occupy more ground, so you can occupy more ground. There's no camping. Uh, I mean that very carefully here, but, but faith is an advancing belief that takes ground in your life. So if you're not sure if you have faith in your life, question yourself. Look at your comfort levels. Are you padding yourself with comforts? Are you full of the, all the great foods and all the great sleeping habits and all the, the video games and all the masturbation? Are you, are you filling your life with medication to feel better? Or are you willing to, to risk feeling uncomfortable or lonely to try something new to shift your world that's what faith what faith looks like and we value that number five we value the testimony it is i can't tell you how critical this is but if we don't measure where we were to where we are and we don't see any progress we'll become disheartened Uh, and so when somebody has a testimony and they go man i overcame this thing this week i couldn't believe it we cheer and celebrate because we the person's had a victory. I mean, it goes in line with don't compare yourself. We've done this with the Jordan Peterson stuff. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Only compare yourself to the day, who you were the day before. Am I better than I was the day before? Maybe the day before is too soon for you. Am I better than I was a year ago? Am I better than I was two years ago? Am I happier? Am I more successful? Am I more positive? These are the These are the indicators to you that you're moving forward and then When you realize you've had breakthrough, share that. You don't always have to share the negative dark side. You can share the testimony. Testimony means that you're testifying of what God has done so that you create an atmosphere, a prophetic atmosphere, for it to happen again. The literal word for testimony is to reproduce the name or to reproduce uh, the authority, publicly reproduce the authority of what God has done so he can do it again. And it has prophetic has prophetic all over it um number six humility i can't stress this enough but you know pride is a cushion that protects us from being vulnerable and it's really insecurity a lot of times overconfidence or pride in themselves is insecurity because they're puffing up in order to be able to sustain the moment and to be able to not shrink back so they do the opposite and they puff up but really, the opposite of this is to recognize, as I've said many times before, in James, the scripture is very clear where he says, he says listen, those of you that have nothing, you, know, you need to know where you're going to get it from. Those of you that have a lot, understand where you got it from. It's a very basic scripture, but he's saying, look, you've got to exercise your faith. And when you find yourself lacking, look to the one that lacks nothing. It's this, the idea of humility actually comes from this idea of a child, says, come to me like a little one, Jesus talks about. And that little he's talking about an untrained child, a child that believes his father has all the answers. I'm going to pause it for, for effect. But you, the sign of humility is you as a teachable child coming to the father, believing he has all the answers. So, you know, it looks like teachability. It looks like, um, you know, questions and, and, and instead of having answers for everything. It looks like, um, you know, understanding like, or demonstrating that you understand God is for you, not against you, that he is good and not punishing you. But humility at its core is, is an attitude of approaching God, the God of all the answers, the good God with trust, knowing that he has good things for you. And knowing that he knows all things and that's exactly what it says come it says humble yourself as a little child come to the end of self-reliance and trust in the father number seven we value homework that costs us something you know homework like do your journal you know someone says well write this in your journal this week as you spend time with god yeah well you can just quickly fill out a journal and be done but but journal like it's going to cost you something journal like, when you write your journals, write in a way that if somebody discovered your journal, you'd be in big trouble. Like, really push yourself where, where, you, where what you do costs you something. Like, I can't stress this enough. Like, homework isn't just something we do at the end um, to make the leader feel better about him being the leader. Homework is something that's, you know, hopefully designed by God. Sometimes it's not always. But homework is, is a way to provoke yourself into getting better, which means you have to take risk, which means it includes faith, which means you have to be vulnerable, which means you have to have humility, all of these things. And when you get really good at getting better, you'll give yourself homework. You won't need other people to give you homework. Number eight, self-explanatory. This culture is touch deficient, especially now in this current season. But we're touch deficient and we desperately need hugs. So we do physical contact. We hug a lot. I always say hug people a little bit longer than they're comfortable with. Now I know that different people have different, um, different anxiety around physical touch, but really, uh, most people, and I'd say the most men especially, are touch love language people, and we're highly deficient in our touch love language, and so we hug a lot. We also prefer games with clear winners. Number nine, um, you know, this goes without saying, uh, but you don't know that you're losing if you don't know how to win. And you don't know how to win if you don't know what the rules are. And if you don't know what the rules are, how can you ever win? And there's sort of this passive way to approach life where what you do doesn't matter. And the result of that is it creates a culture of insecure passive males. And I can't stress enough how much play and competition, real competition, draws out the fighter in men. And when you draw the fighter out in a man, they come alive. Uh, I say that free men, fight well free men know how to fight to win and if you've never tasted victory you don't know how valuable it is and you begin to think the, it's especially a lie that's permeated out there that fighting for victory isn't worth anything unless it's a you know somebody else's social justice issue uh, but you but fighting for your own victory is one of the most powerful things you can do and we emulate that uh, you can think of think of uh, games with clear winners as emulating battle. So we learn how to be a champion and learn to value being a champion. So of course we love to play games. We like to be silly. Uh, part of being wholehearted and the Brene Brown stuff is play has to be part of your freedom culture. Part of wholehearted living is practicing the art of play. And number ten, uh, the number ten thing that we love is of course worship. I've said this many many times. When you know. And they've experienced a God that can actually set you free. You worship uninhibitedly. And that doesn't sound like a right word. But David worshiped in his loincloth. He became undone in the presence of God because he knew the victories of his God. He knew a God that liberates, a God that empowers, a God that is for him, not against him. He worshiped like he, I mean, he literally broke the rules of engaging God because he believed in his God so much. I can tell you when people start to taste liberty, freedom, you watch them in the front lines of worship and they are just coming undone. They're weeping in the presence there. And I'm not saying that you have to be physically manifesting. It's really about an attitude of the heart. Uh, It's not about singing the songs. Even this week I was running through some stuff with God and he's like, you're more worried about the words you're saying than about engaging me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. and I felt really convicted by the Holy Spirit about not trying to make it perfect, but just letting my spirit come undone and give to him the glory that he deserves. Now, I can go on and on about that, but, I'm, but the man that worships is a man that gets free. Just this last week, um, Bill Johnson was talking to Brian Johnson on Bethel TV about the value of worship as a, as a tool to set you free from depression, to set you free from anxiety. When you worship, you change the atmosphere. When you force your soul to engage God, you reset the clock of your heart to begin to magnify and to begin to enthrone God in your praises. And when you do that, he becomes the ruler and the authoritarian over the demons. And he actually goes out and he fights on your behalf and destroys chaos in your environment. If you want peace, peace is the presence of Jesus in your life. And the way you do that is you engage him And you'll begin to recognize them and you reset your soul to magnify the Lord. I could go on and on and on. I've already got goosebumps. All right. Ten things that we kind of don't really like very much and that aren't very helpful. Um, I'll run through these fairly fast. Um, We don't really like the terminology accountability. Now, I'll be kind of frank about this. Obviously, we're doing a men's group where we come and we talk about our stuff but that's not accountability. Accountability, um, reporting to people the good and bad things you're doing isn't the goal. Um, relationship is the goal. Uh, and, and learning how to speak is the goal. Uh, I don't care, you know, how many times somebody masturbated, I care why they masturbated. Um, I'm, I'm listening for the, for the, for the lie and the, and the, and I'm listening for the for the deception, oh, that's the same thing. The, I'm listening for the brokenness on the inside that made them believe that that was their solution. I don't care about, you know, you, like I've said this many, many times, you can't out-masturbate the love of God for you. You can go ahead and try and you'll discover he loves you way more than you realized. And as leaders and as men in this group, we're going to love each other. We're going to love each other no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we, we mess up. But what we're listening for isn't, a report of the week we 're listening for a heart attitude we 're listening for things that get people stuck we 're listening for an ability for a man to recognize where he went wrong and then to ask him questions to help him realize it too uh, we sort number two we despise and you should learn to despise this because it doesn 't help but Christian platitudes or christianese as it 's commonly become known is is a very low level of communication. It's very cliché, and clichés. There's no risk involved in a cliché. Anybody can say something like "God is good" all the time. But but what really gets you free is when you can talk about your feelings uh, without framing it in a um, you know. Uh, let me see if I give you an example. You can say something as simple as you know. I had, a bit, uh, I had a really bad week this week. Uh, I was in Costco and some bad things happened. But God is good. He's still on the throne and I'm still his favorite. What you're doing is you're masking or covering up your pain with the truth of God, which is mostly a cliche because you didn't really experience God's goodness. You just said it. You said it to kind of go, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about me. And that's one example. There's many other examples. And you, you know what I'm talking about. You can hear it in the language. The men are talking. They get this kind of underlying, like, I want to be okay with all my peers, and my peers are all Christians, so I will say what they say. I will do what they do. I'll feel better about myself. But really, no change is happening on the inside. It's all just fluffy stuff, and it's all meant to make you look good. It's a puffing up mentality. Now, I'm not saying you can't use the words, God is good, but God is good without the reality of God being good in your life. It's just Christianese. It's just platitudes. So stay away from things, stay away from language that forces you into a cliche that's not real for yourself. All right, number three. Number three is shame talk. This is the kind of language that traps us in our failure because we identify with the behavior and therefore our language might indicate that we don't feel worthy of love and belonging because of our behavior. Shame talk is different than being embarrassed. Embarrassed is the feeling you get when your cheeks go flush and you uh, you can identify that you've made a mistake, um, but you don't identify with the mistake as your personality or as your identity. And so shame might be something, sorry, embarrassment might be something that is akin to, we all make this mistake. Uh, sure, I just dropped this glass of milk on the floor, or whatever, everybody drops things on the floor. And so that's embarrassment, we can feel flushed, and sometimes we, make, we say stupid things in public, and, and we can feel embarrassed, embarrassed is normal. But shame is when you, when you have a mindset or a disappointment in yourself that creates a, a value-based decision about your about your identity. So you can, and shame will, shame will typically, shame language will typically separate somebody from a group, isolate them, and, and tell them a the lie that they're the only one with this problem. That nobody struggles like they struggle. Nobody, that's more victim. But nobody, um, nobody's as bad as they are. Nobody's uh, as unworthy of love and belonging as they are. They deserve punishment. This language, this shame language, isn't of God. It is of the devil. And the devil would want you to be isolated and feel, feel unworthy of love and belonging. So you have to keep working for love that you basically got for free when you signed up uh, as a Christian. So, you know, to, to, to identify the two things, it's important because we are not afraid of failure because we all make mistakes. Uh, we're afraid of failure when it is an indication of our value. And it's an indication of our worthiness. Then we start to become really afraid of value. We're afraid that that our behavior will isolate us from from others loving us. And so listen carefully as a man is sharing. Listen for the language when you're talking. Listen to to the way what's on the inside starts to come out of the outside as disappointment. You know, when parents communicate disappointment, they actually communicate um, your behavior uh, causes me not to want to love you. That sort of, so it's a shame language-based thing. So um, learning to communicate love in the middle of someone's struggle is actually how we help them get free. It's how we get free when we hear, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. I-, I know you had a bad day today. I know you made a big mistake. But no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. That kills shame. And shame grows in silence. And shame grows in isolation. But shame is killed in community. And shame is killed when we confess and we openly talk about our failures. So that's number three, shame. Try not to do any shame talk yourself. Listen for shame talk in others, and pull it out. Pull out that shame talk till till love becomes the thing that drives away the fear. Uh, number four, and, and Doug did a great job of this, and I really want to record him and get it up there again. Uh, the victim mentality. Um, you know, when you identify as always being the victim, or or you you give permission to other things or other people in your life to be the bad guy and you're always looking for a rescuer, you're devoiding yourself of the responsibility of change. Um, I was just listening to this as part of a a marriage counseling I'm doing here for a few folks and there's this discussion of powerful people. Powerful people, they take responsibility for their actions and what they don't have responsibility for, they let go. They, they, they let go of their need to manage somebody else, and they take on the management of themselves. They're, they're self-disciplined, and they own their own stuff. You, powerful people don't say things like, um, you know, if someone says, can you do this? They go, I'll try. I'll try is is a passive way of shirking responsibility and not stepping into a powerful position, or Another typical victim mentality concept is I have to, I can't, I should, I shouldn't. Uh, a powerful person says I will or I won't. Someone says, Will you come to this, uh, you know, come to this uh, gathering and and would you prepare the food? And you go, I can't. It's different than I won't do that. Now we don't like that, especially as Canadians. We don't like how aggressive that sounds, I and mean, we get a little bit nervous as someone says that. But Really, it's a it's a statement of power. So watch your language, and you can really tell what kind of relationship you have with the people around you. Do you see yourself as always being taken advantage of? People that are usually afraid of control usually have no self-control. Because if you have self-control, nobody can tell you what to do. Only you tell you what to do. And we, we listen for language like that when someone is sharing. All right. Uh, passivity is obviously the next Uh, thing but passivity of course is I'll try to Uh, passivity is uh, maybe I don't know sometimes we ask people hey can you um, can you send out 10 resumes this week and the person goes I'll try or I don't know well how about you say you can and you do oh I don't know if I can and we're afraid of failure so instead of letting everybody down and letting and, and failing at something Especially for a high C personality. If it's not perfect, we don't want to commit. And and so sometimes we can we can get into this mentality of going, if at least if I say I try, I say face, but really I don't have any intention of following through. Anywhere where we lose the connection between responsibility and, and our authority, we can get into this passive behavior where nothing really changes and it's it's always it's always too inconvenient or too difficult, and I can't and I won't and I don't, really, I, don't really, I don't really like to be uncomfortable, and, and you're asking too much of me, and I'd just rather play video games, is an example of passivity. It's the disconnect of someone's willingness to change and their ability uh, to embrace their responsibility. That's the disconnect right there. And you can listen to it in language of guys that are getting better. People that are getting better are like, ah, oh. they recognize something and they're like, I'm going to go get that. Whereas people that don't want to change, you'll you'll hear them say something, you're like, hey, are you going to take care of that? You're like, ah, I don't know. When can you do that? Oh, I don't know. How about you do it next week? No, I'll, I'll try. That's typical passivity. Number six, uh, one of the most important ones is avoiding the pain, uh, not giving pain a purpose. Your pain is actually a very, very valuable tool. You get to thank God that your body can can. Your emotions can reciprocate pain that's happening to you because you're being wounded in your spirit when you feel pain. And pain is an opportunity for your body to get healing. In fact, I've said this before, and this comes from the psychology that I've preached about. um, But if you sit in the pain for about eight minutes, don't rehearse the pain. Just let the pain come on you like emotionally. I'm not talking about running the pattern in your head. I'm just talking about when you first feel the pain of loss, someone died in your family, something like that, just let the pain come. Like, close your eyes and sit there and put the timer on for eight minutes. And you'll watch that your body actually kicks in endorphins. And those, those dopamines and endorphins are actually designed to heal your body. So without, it's, it's like a forest fire. And a forest fire comes and wipes out a whole forest. The way the forest fire burns deep in, down into the roots is it kills the overgrowth so that the new life can come. Part of your freedom is letting pain have its purpose. And so we we really, you can hear it in people's language. People that keep dodging pain or dodging emotions are typically people that aren't going to get better very easily. Number seven, we avoid trying to make programs the goal or um, words like ministry or words like products or, um, you know, we, we avoid making the process or the organization the value. Like, that's not really the goal. The goal isn't to, like, have a men's group. The goal isn't to have curriculum. The goal isn't to uh, do these five things and you'll get better. The goal is to engage God and others in an, in an honest, vulnerable way until you break the power of darkness over your life. But it's so easily in this day and age where we begin to associate with one another. We go, I go to brave testimony and I, I hear this. And, and then it becomes this thing where you you overquote the people in your life that have value or you, um, you associate with powerful organizations because you don't feel powerful. And so the trick here is, is although you can be inspired by powerful people around you and it's good to remember the things that they say, the point is to make those things real for yourself. The point is to, to let those things breathe out of you and become acts of faith. And that's what you should value is the act of faith, not the teachings, not the programs, not the disciplines, although disciplines can be a faith too. But instead of saying, I'm fasting six days a week, and I'm you become this big like, look what I'm doing to get better. It's like, no, no, no. The better word is, you know, I, I really am struggling. Well, not that I value struggle over victory, but maybe you say I'm having a victory. I had a victory this week, and all I did was hang out with God. It's like, well, how did you do that? I don't know. Just sat there. It's like there's no, you know, like 20-day fast. I mean, you do the fasts, you do the disciplines, you do those acts of faith unto experiencing God. If you miss the experience, you're just doing platitudes in your behavior. And you're going nowhere. And this is where the scripture says, do not eat, do not drink, do not... This is Those things have no value in sobriety or in freedom. Just saying you won't do it is men's wisdom. Uh, You know, engaging God is divine. Engaging God in your process is divine. And so process has to have God involved. Otherwise, it's just men's wisdom. All right, we're almost done. Uh, Number eight we really despise the language of being fixed. Being fixed looks like, hey, that reminds me of a problem I had, and this is how I fixed it. I uh, started Keto, and uh, I started CrossFit. CrossFit's awesome. And CrossFit will help you with that and this and that. That's fixing somebody. Or another example might be, somebody shares a difficult moment, and um, you know, then we go to prayer time, and the prayer time looks like, oh Lord, help so-and-so with their difficult moment. Um, now, I don't, I'm not, a little while ago, somebody convicted me that my one-liners often trap me in things that aren't true. So I'll be just very careful here in a little moment. I'll say, you can still pray a prayer that helps, like has that same language in it, but it comes from a divine idea that like you can bless somebody. You can, you can call forth their greatness. You can prophesy and pray over them in a way that seems horizontal, like from man to man, but comes from an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the goal is to engage the Holy Spirit, not to try to just make them feel better. Your job isn't to make them happy. Your job isn't to take their pain away. Your job is literally to hear heaven and give them what heaven says. That's your job. And so when you're praying, we pray from heaven to earth. We don't pray earth to earth. So when you hear somebody go, you know, my wife, blah, blah, blah. And you go, Lord, help him with his wife. It's like, that's that's one thing. Another thing is you hear the Holy Spirit say, I really want to bless his wife. I want, I want to bless the relationship. And you go, Lord, I just ask right now that you would bless the relationship. You know, That's, I don't, I, there's a subtle difference. The language might seem the same, but it's where you're getting your hope from. You want to bring your, your help and your strength from heaven to earth. Number nine, people who condemn or trivialize or even, even champion um, failure. And so I want to be careful about this language. Let me start with the champion thing for a minute somehow and you've all heard this people start sharing they go uh let's say they go last week i got so drunk and i I blacked out and (laughs) i ended up with this girl and and you go wait a second here what's the good part of your story and somehow their irresponsible behavior caused them to have sex with a girl and and somehow that's a, a source of boasting or a source of value and then they'll say i really didn't want to do it but uh yeah, I don't know what what came over me. I guess it was because I drank too much. And and you can hear this language where subtly they're proud of themselves for doing something that actually is not good for them. And we can all hear it. We can say, wow, that that is painful. Like, you hurt yourself, but somehow you think that that's a point of boasting. That's one version. Another version might be something like, you know, um, and this is going to sound really crazy, but there's a version of extreme grace, like, like this idea that your sin, God doesn't hold your sin against you, means you never have to repent. Uh, that's not in scripture. Uh, you know, the source of sin and failure is our unbelief in God. The source of sin is disconnecting from your need for God. From, for God. Your source of sin is when your pride of self comes in you go, I got this. I got this is the source of sin. And so when you raise yourself up, think of Satan. Satan is like, I got this. You worship me. Don't worship God, worship me. I got this is literally the root of sin. And so pride and your inability to humble yourself before the Lord and recognize his goodness and his value and his truth is the source of sin. So if you get yourself in that predicament, the place to come is repentance. And so sometimes I hear people share their failure without repentance there's no there's no understanding of how it has affected them and so i challenge you if you're in a group and you hear somebody share something where they're like you know I, I got angry at my wife this week and blah 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 blah, you, you need to stop and go um so how is that working out for you oh i worked out really bad she got angry at me and you know and so 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 who who have you violated and they'll stop and think. And your, your question, you want to bring them back to the mess they've made. You want to bring them back to the pain they've caused. You want to bring them back to why did you get angry? Why did you feel so powerless that you had to manifest pseudo power? You, you really want to cause, like if I said that to you, I'd, I'd pray that you would ask me, what is the root? And, and hopefully I get down to the root, which is I don't trust God. And Hopefully I get down to that point where I'm like, Lord, I, I repent of not trusting you. That's the goal. So don't trivialize or um, condemn somebody else's failure. Uh, Don't boast about failure, um, but don't be. Condemnation is you are your failure. Conviction is you're better than your failure. So condemnation is that third part of failure that people tend to do, which is like, wow, you're such a sinner. Oh, man, I can't believe you're a liar. Languages like titles associated with sin is condemnation. So condemnation, trivializing, and boasting about failure is not okay. And lastly, and certainly not least, number 10, numbing. Now you know I've said this many times before, but you cannot selectively numb pain. You can't eat enough chips to get the pain to go and keep the joy. Uh, the joy you might experience the chip, chips is fleeting. I use chips as an example because I love chips, uh, or potatoes, or rice carbs and i can't eat any of those right now oh look i sound like a victim i will not eat potatoes rice and bread anymore man i really am working through that right now the goal right here is to understand the extreme versions of yourself go i'm willing to go deep into my pain because i know that if i let pain come and have its way and, and, and I feel it at its fullness, I will also feel joy at its fullness. So that's the goal. The goal is not to wallow in your pain, not to, to identify with your pain, not to rejoice in your pain, but to let pain have its, have its purpose. And when you do, if you, you know healthy people, when they can cry and laugh in the same day, when they can feel the weight of their behavior, and they can feel the liberty of the presence of God. They can feel the, the grace of the presence of God. They can feel the joy of the presence of God. At the same time, they can make, a mature person, a mature adult, mixes their emotions well. They can, they can feel the loss of something at a deep level while feeling the victory of something else at the same time. They cry with those that cry. They, they laugh with those that laugh. This is a sign of a healthy, mature person. Dodging your emotions is literally not going to save you. And we talked about this before about the numbing of pain. When you numb pain, you numb joy. And people that are like, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but part of depression that I've experienced when I've gone through depression is depression feels kind of numb. Depression doesn't feel sad or happy. Depression feels comfortable. Depression feels warm. Depression feels um, um, like you took uh, a drug that, Just puts you in a comatose state and nothing really matters that's a sign that I'm in trouble if I if I don't let the things around me affect me uh, in a negative way and a positive way I have to question where my heart is at so we we really push into laughing and crying and feeling the pain so those are the 10 things that we love 10 things we hate 10 things that'll get you better 10 indicators that you're getting better and 10 things you know you're not getting better 10 things that are indicators that you may not be getting better (laughs) thanks for watching another video by bravetestimony.com if this is our passion this is our pleasure we produce all these videos for free you can watch all the videos for free on our youtube channel you can listen to all the audio for free on our soundcloud channel please consider supporting us by subscribing to either the youtube or the soundcloud channel it helps us a lot thank you for your support cheers